Um, Let's take a moment and pray as we, we come to God's word this morning. Father, I want to pray uh, in these moments as we come to listen to your word that you would quiet our our minds and our hearts, that you would remove distraction and that you would help us to hear your living voice as we read the scriptures, that we would hear the voice of the living God speaking words that would do us good and would bring us life and would set us free. Father, I want to pray we would hear the things that you want to say to us this morning by your word and by your spirit. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we are, um, for, for those who are new to MCF or haven't been around before, um, we're in the middle of a series where we are going through, uh, kind of flying through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, stopping off at different points. And we're looking at how the message of the gospel, the message of the good news is found all through the biblical story. Um, and this morning we come to, um, so we've kind of, we've done a lot on the Old Testament so far, but now we come to the gospel in the gospels, uh, which maybe is an obvious place to go. Um, I find it kind of really interesting. Sometimes we would like to have a kind of one sentence summary of the gospel. Uh, and maybe you have a favorite one sentence summary and that can be a good thing. Um, but I find it really interesting if you, if you ask the early Christians, what is the gospel? Um, it seems quite likely that they would have given you um, a little book and said, here is the gospel according to Luke, or here is the gospel according to Mark, or here is the gospel according to Matthew or John. Um, that, that was the word that they used for these little biographies of Jesus. This story of Jesus and his life and death and resurrection is the gospel. The good news is about Jesus and his life and death and resurrection. So this morning we come to the gospels and um, in some ways we could go anywhere in the gospels and we can zoom in on any of the little stories in the gospels and find the good news there in a briefer form. Um, But I've picked uh, one of the parables that Jesus told. We we looked at a few of the parables over the summer, uh, but I kept this one for now. And um, we're going we're gonna to read from Luke chapter 18, uh, quite a short parable that I think gives us a little glimpse of the gospel in miniature. Um, so let's read together Luke chapter 18. Uh, we're going to read from verse 9. Jesus says, or it, it, it Luke says to start with, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's our our passage for this morning. Uh, And I want to start by pointing out a little something uh, that I think is important but is easy to miss in our English translations. So I want to point out a little something that may be a key to helping us understand this story. Um, The passage begins with uh, referring to those who are confident of their own righteousness. Right, That's the word that appears at the start of the story. And then at the end of what we read, um, we, we read... Uh, about someone being justified before God. Uh, And in English, those two words don't sound anything alike. Uh, They sound completely unrelated, righteousness and justified. But actually, in the Greek uh, that this was originally written in, those two words are intimately connected. Uh, Like, literally, one is the noun form and the other is the verb form of the same word. Um, It's just that in English, you can't really talk about someone being righteousified. Um, It doesn't quite work. And so it's been translated as justified. But we can miss the fact that 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 little word maybe is the key to understanding this whole passage. Um, To be justified is to be declared righteous. We could could translate it in that way uh, at the end of the passage. And so uh, the passage that we read begins with those who are confident of their own righteousness and ends with a man being declared righteous by God. So those words are key uh, to understanding this whole story. And maybe the the big question that kind of hangs over uh, all that we're going to think about this morning um, is this, is where is your confidence? I think that's the question that this story asks. Is your confidence in your own righteousness or in the righteousness that is given by God as his gift? And so that's kind of, that's the question I'd love to press into a little bit with you this morning. Um, let's, let's maybe move on uh, to think about this. I wonder, have you ever noticed uh, that nobody thinks they're a Pharisee? Um, don't know if you've ever noticed that. Uh, whenever we talk about the Pharisees, we, we all are pretty sure that person over there, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to point at anybody here, but I was pointing at Paul Martin there, sorry. Um, <laughs> We're all pretty sure that we know someone who's a Pharisee, but we're all pretty sure that it's not us. We we sometimes think other denominations definitely have a problem with Phariseeism or other churches or other individuals that we know. Um, I once heard someone say, it's always kind of stuck with me, the Pharisee prays, thank you that I'm not like those sinners. And we immediately say, thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee. That's our immediate reaction. Um, And the truth is, there are strong Pharisee tendencies in all of us. Uh, Maybe we wouldn't stand up and publicly pray, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those people over there. We keep it a little better hidden than that. Um, But I I want us to take a closer look at what the Pharisee does, because I think these are games that we also play. Um, two, Two things that I think the Pharisee does. One is the game of comparison. He looks around for those who are worse than himself. And that's a really great tactic if you want to feel better about yourself and your own goodness and your own righteousness. Um, the, the Pharisee in the story makes a short list of four kinds of people. Um, robbers, they're pretty bad. Uh, evildoers, which sounds quite general. Um, adulterers, right? And tax collectors, that tax collector over there. Let me ask you this question. I wonder who would be on your list 
you were making a, a list of the people who are definitely really bad, people who are just the worst, I wonder who would be on your list. And I, I want to encourage you to think about that. Um, if, you, if you can't think right now, think about it later on in the day. Who, who would be on your list? You say, I'm glad I'm not like them. Because if we focus on the people who are the worst, then, well, maybe we know we're not the best, but we come out kind of feeling like we're okay. We're not bad. We're doing all right when we compare ourselves to those we consider to be uh, the worst. So that's kind of the first game that the Pharisees play that I think we play as well. The second game is the game of performance. The Pharisee is kind of keeping a record of his own spiritual accomplishments. It's a kind of spiritual CV uh, that he has. Um, He only lists two items here, but I'm pretty sure he could have gone on a wee bit longer if we gave him time. Uh, But he says, I fast twice a week. That's pretty impressive. Two days a week, he's taking a break from food uh, in order to dedicate himself to God. And I give a tenth of all I get. Again, that's pretty impressive. So two days out of seven, he's fasting and a tenth of all his material wealth he's given away. And again, let me ask the question, I wonder what would be on your list? If you were making a spiritual resume, as the Americans say, or CV, um, what would be on it to try to build up a, something that's, that sounds kind of shiny and impressive and good? I wonder what would be on it. I read my Bible every day, or amend that to nearly every day. Um, I volunteer in church and charities and different things in all these different ways, or I have all this experience of Christian ministry, or I've given money, I've given time uh, to helping people, to serving people. I read big books with lots of big theological words. Um, I don't know what would be on your list. The answer to these questions is probably quite personal. Um, And again, I want to encourage you to think about it. What, What list would you make if you were trying to make yourself sound pretty impressive to polish your your CV. The clear implication of this story that we read is that while those games of comparison and performance might work on ourselves, we can kind of fool ourselves sometimes, and maybe we can fool other people. God is not fooled by them. Um, He sees through the smoke and mirrors and through the games to the heart. Um, I wonder, can I tell you something, uh, as I reflected on this story, something that I believe that the story doesn't explicitly say? As we think about this Pharisee, and you can tell me later if you agree with me, but I think this Pharisee, he sounds very confident, doesn't he? He sounds pretty confident. But I think he goes away sad. I think a life of constant comparison and performance is not a very happy life. It's a life without much joy. Um, I was thinking about comparison. I was thinking there's a, there's a wise saying uh, that I really love that says, comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, and I've always kind of thought of that saying in terms of comparison to people who are better than us. Uh, so we, when we compare ourselves to people who are smarter, better looking, richer, happier than we are, it makes us sad, which is why social media makes us sad, um, as many people have observed. Um, but I think it also applies the other way. When we're constantly looking around for someone worse than ourselves so we can point the finger, when we're constantly looking for flaws and faults in other people, I think that's a miserable way to live. There's not much love and there's not much joy. 
or the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I think a life of comparison drains joy from our lives. Uh, And I think that's also true of a life of constant performance. I think that's also pretty miserable because you can never stop. You never know if you've done enough. Um, have I have I performed enough? Have I done enough? Uh, and if you have a bad day or a bad week or a bad year, um, suddenly our sense of self-confidence and our identity will crash. And we, we, we have this sense like that graph kind of going up and down of today God is pleased with me, God is delighted with me, and then tomorrow God is really disappointed with me and really angry with me. And our, our sense of our confidence and identity goes up and down depending how our performance is going. I think Behind the confidence of the Pharisee, there's a deep insecurity. It's actually very fragile and anxious confidence. We're scared that the mask will slip and other, uh, not referring to these masks, but um, we're scared that others will see the truth. We're scared of admitting the truth to ourselves, that behind the smoke and mirrors, behind the games, we know that's not the truth about us. It's a very fragile, insecure way to live. The other man in the story Jesus tells shows us, I think, a much better way. He has no illusions about himself at all. He he owns the truth about himself. And he prays this really simple, powerful prayer. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to suggest to you this morning that that simple prayer can change your life, (laughs) Both, both at the beginning of coming into a relationship with God and also all the way through the journey. It's a prayer that can change your life. Um, Whenever we say, I'm a sinner, um, what does that mean? Um, I think it means more than just, I have done some bad things in the past. Sometimes we think that's what it means to say, I'm a sinner. I I know I've done some things in the past that are not perfect, that are wrong, um, and I need forgiveness. It definitely includes that. That is part of what it means to say, I'm a sinner. Um, But I think it means more than that, something deeper than that. It also means there's something wrong in my heart that needs mended. There's something in my nature that needs healed. It's not only I haven't always done what is good, but I can't do what is good and right without some kind of radical help and rescue and salvation. Um, If you don't mind this analogy... Um, Think of yourself as a shopping trolley, right? Stretch your imagination. Um, It's not just that you have sometimes swerved off course in the past and knocked over displays of baked beans and whatever else as you've gone. It's that there is something deeply wrong with your mechanisms. And you've maybe had a trolley like this in uh, the supermarket that makes you constantly swerve off course so that without some kind of radical mending, It's inevitable that you're going to crash again and again and again and cause all kinds of harm to yourself and to those around you. Um, I think all of that is contained when we say I'm a sinner. We're saying I've done wrong in all kinds of ways, but we're also saying there is something wrong in my nature and my heart that needs healing. Um, Maybe even as I say that, you're you're aware um, that our, our culture at the minute um, really doesn't like this idea of saying I'm a sinner. Um, It's deeply unfashionable. Uh, And we are bombarded on an almost daily basis with messages that would deny this. Um, And so maybe as you're following your social media feed or whatever, um, 
tell me, or tell me later again if you recognize this, but I think we, we will see... One of the things that happens, I think, in our culture is our, people will start off saying something that is true, but then very subtly it will be followed by things that are less true and then not true at all. And if we're not awake and alive, we can get very easily deceived. Um, so I want, I want you to tell me later if you recognize this, but as you listen to the voices in our culture, you might hear someone say something like this, that you are valuable. And I hope immediately your heart says amen, right? Because that is deeply and profoundly true. You, every human being is made in the image of God and precious, right? So it is absolutely true. We can say to every person, you are valuable, you are precious um, because you're made in God's image. And then maybe that might be followed by saying something like this, you are amazing. wonder what you think of that one. Um, Depending on how you interpret that one, I actually think that is also mostly true. Um, Every human being is fearfully and wonderfully made. Human beings are amazing creatures, right? So you are a marvel and a wonder. Um, You are amazing. You've been given unique gifts and beauties. Is everybody okay outside as the rain's coming down? Uh, You've been given unique gifts and beauties. Um, All human beings are amazing. So depending how we understand that, we're still in the realm of truth. But then it might be followed by something like this. You are beautiful in every way. wonder what you think of that one. Or it might be followed by, you are perfect as you are. wonder what you think of that kind of journey in terms of those statements. Um, I th- if we're not awake, we can just go with the flow because they sound like lovely things to affirm. And we can kind of nod along. Um, but I don't think this is wisdom. I think this is delusional. It's a, it's a flight from reality. Um, let me make a confession that may shock some of you, but I am not beautiful in every way, right? Um, there are all kinds of ugly things in my thoughts and desires and heart and all kinds of imperfect things in my character and relationships, relationships and my life. And I have all kinds of hope, and we're going to get to the hope in a minute, um, but I have to start with reality. You can't get anywhere good unless you start with a diagnosis that is true. Um, So if I can say it this way, maybe this is a strange way to say it. Um, As we think about this prayer, God shows his kindness to us by showing us our sin. Um, God shows his love to us by stripping away the games and the pretense and the delusions and showing us the reality of our own hearts, because that's the only way that we can begin towards hope and healing. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says in in various places, is the one who convicts us of sin, and it's an expression of his love. He brings us to this place where we are able to say, I need forgiveness, I need healing and rescue, I need God's mercy. I wonder if That is something that's happened in your life. Has the Holy Spirit brought you to that place? Um, I'm hoping um, people are not too squeamish about this, but I want to use a little illustration. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I had a little mole cut off my arm. hope that doesn't make uh, people squeamish. But the reason I got it cut off was because my wife had said to me a while back, I don't like the look of that mole. And I'd looked at it and thought, it just looks like any other mole. Um, It doesn't look particularly sinister to me. But my wife has a good intuition for these kind of things, so I went and got it checked out, discovered it was a little bit sinister, and they cut it off and took it away, and the danger is passed and gone. Um, 
Imagine if whenever uh, Debs had said to me, I don't like the look of that mole, I'd reacted by saying, I can't believe you don't think I'm perfect in every way. Um, I can't believe you're pointing out my flaws and the things that are wrong with me. Um, you and I know that was an expression of her love for me, that she wanted to make sure that I was not in danger. And by pointing it out, she helped to make sure that the danger passed and healing happened. And I guess I want to suggest that in a, an even a much deeper way, the Holy Spirit in his love for us brings us to this place where we know there's something deeply and radically wrong that needs forgiveness and needs healing so that he can save us from things that will kill us if we're not saved from them. So he can bring us to that healing which we've talked about, which is salvation. Um, I think, how, how does a person come to that place? Um, or how does the Holy Spirit bring a person to that place? I think it can happen in a lot of different ways. For some people, it can happen through a big public mess or failure where you're exposed before the world um, for, for the way that you are and you can't hide it anymore. Or it can happen more gradually and quietly, just the dawning realization that there is something wrong that needs forgiveness and that needs healing. There's also, I think, another maybe strange way in which this conviction of sin can happen uh, that might sound surprising. And it's this, that it can happen as we look at Jesus. Why, why is that the case? Because Jesus is the one who shows us the beauty of God's holiness, of God's righteousness. And whenever we see it in Jesus, we know it's not like the fake righteousness of the Pharisees. This is the real thing. Um, it, it bubbles out of a heart that is good all the way through, that loves God and loves people. This is real righteousness. Um, and it shows up the fake righteousness for what it is. And Jesus shows us what a human being is meant to be like. And it's beautiful. And we are drawn to him because of that. But it also makes us aware how far we fall short. His light makes us aware of our own grubbiness. Um, so a song came to mind as I was thinking about this from uh, the late, great Rich Mullins. Uh, Rich Mullins sang, Well, I am a good Midwestern boy. I give an honest day's work if I can get it. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't cheat on my girl. I've got values that would make the White House jealous. Well, I do get a little much over-impressed till I think of Peter and Paul and the apostles. I don't stack up too well against them, I guess. But by the standards around here, I ain't doing that awful. But then he says, but Lord, it's hard to turn the other cheek. It's hard to bless when others curse you. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be a man of peace. Lord, it's hard. It's hard. You know, it's hard to be like Jesus. You see how whenever we compare ourselves to the worst, we feel like we're doing all right. When we compare ourselves to the best, suddenly conviction comes. We know how far short we fall of that beauty and that uh, righteousness and that goodness. And so this man prays this simple, humble prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, and it's a prayer that can change your life because, why, why is that a prayer that can change your life? Because, because he's owning the truth about himself, he's facing reality, but also and gloriously because he receives the mercy that he asks for. And it says at the end of our story, this man went home 
justified before God. This man went home declared righteous before God. Um, I don't know about you, whenever, whenever I was younger, um, I was often puzzled by this idea. I heard preachers say, you know, that Jesus on the cross took our sin and that he gives us his righteousness. And I often kind of puzzled as I was growing up how that worked. Um, it can sound like, as some people uh, would say, it can sound like a legal fiction like, or a game of let's pretend. Um, a friend of mine used to say, whenever they heard that, they imagined that we're kind of hiding under a white sheet, which is the righteousness of Jesus. But we know and everybody else knows that underneath the sheet, we're still pretty grubby and messy and imperfect. Um, I was greatly helped recently uh, by a preacher writer called Fleming Rutledge, uh, who talks about this. And um, she connects this idea of being declared righteous to a story in the Old Testament book of Judges, when the angel of the Lord came and spoke to a young man called Gideon uh, when he was threshing wheat under an oak tree. Uh, And the angel of the Lord said something remarkable to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Uh, And I think whenever you read that story, I think you're meant to laugh a little bit because it's clear in the story that Gideon is not really in any way at that point in the story a mighty warrior. He's a very ordinary young man from an insignificant family in the weakest tribe who, as the story goes on, needs an awful lot of reassurance from God before he gets going, right? So there's something comic about God saying to Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. But God is outside time and God sees the end from the beginning and he knows Gideon will become a mighty warrior, He is going to make Gideon a mighty warrior. So he calls him in advance what he intends to make him. It's a prophetic and powerful statement. Whenever God says something, it then comes to be. God says, let there be light, and there is light. God says, mighty warrior, and he becomes a mighty warrior as God works in his life. God's words start to create and call into being a new reality. And I think there's something similar going on as we think about uh, the words of um, those words uh, where we are declared righteous. When you humble yourself before God and come with open hands and ask for mercy, he calls you righteous. He speaks that over you. And it is not just a legal status, though it is that. He gives you that legal status. But his words start to create a new reality. God sees the end from the beginning and he knows that one day he's going to complete what he's begun and you will be righteous through and through. Every last stain of sin and foolishness uh, and wrongness is going to be removed and we're going to shine with the beauty of Jesus. You will be righteous through and through in character and life and heart and mind. So that's a, a way of thinking of it that I find immensely helpful. God declares us righteous And then he sets about making us what he has declared us to be. And so I think that's good news, right? And so I want to finish by saying this, and I know we're returning to the theme that we come back to every week in this series. Um, It's vital that we we come to this place of humility. Um, God in his kindness brings us to this place. He will bring us to this place often in in our lives. This is a prayer we will need to pray often. And that is healthy and life-giving. But again, we need to say, we won't stay 
on the ground with our heads down, going around just saying, I'm rubbish, I'm the worst. Uh, That is not where this story leaves us. The man goes home justified, and I believe to go home justified is to go home joyful. Right? Do you agree? To go home justified is to go home glad. Those who humble themselves are lifted up by God. He will lift up your head and your heart, and you will go out with a skip in your step, skipping like a calf loosed from its stall, walking and leaping and praising God, and all those other phrases from, our, uh, from God's word. Knowing that you've received the mercy that you asked for, knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing God has spoken and called you righteous, and that whenever God says something, it's going to come to be. That's why I have hope, even for the bits of me this morning that are still ugly and still out of kilter and still not what they should be. Uh, When we ask God for mercy, he gives forgiveness and he also declares us righteous and then starts to make us shine with the beauty of Jesus. Uh, Whenever God begins that good work in us, he will carry it on to completion. Let's pray uh, and then we're going to sing a song in response. Um, Let's pray. Um, Father, I'm really aware this morning that it's only your spirit who can bring conviction of sin and the reality of the brokenness and the ugliness and the wrongness that's in our hearts. And it's also only your spirit that can bring conviction that the gospel is gloriously true and that today there is forgiveness and healing and hope available for those who will humble themselves. And so I want to pray would you come by your Holy Spirit and carry the message of this message of the gospel to the depths of our hearts and help each of us this morning to believe it and help each of us in the quiet of our own hearts to pray this prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And even as we pray that, Father, I pray we would feel the thrill in our hearts of knowing that whenever you hear that prayer, you rush to pour out mercy and to pour out forgiveness and to pour out healing and to pour out your rescue and salvation. Father, I pray there would be some of us this morning who go home with a skip in our step because we know that we are justified and declared righteous by God. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.